0: Well, turn with me if you would this morning to First Timothy. We'll be in chapter three. there together, First Timothy chapter three verses one through seven. I'm glad you came this morning while I just preach at Andy and J.r. and myself, right? Uh, no, you, you need to know this text also. This is the text from First Timothy, we have another text over in Titus that is about elders. And the qualifications of elders in the life of the church. Uh, I wanna do something a little different this morning uh, as we look at this text. I wanna do some biblical theology and kinda uh, wrap this text into some biblical theology on God's care for us and how uh, the role of elders in the life of the church is really a manifestation in the life of the church of God's care. For us, if I just went down like we normally do and kind of exegete this text verse by verse and word by word, it's kind of thick. There's 15 qualifications there this morning. You're doing word studies left and right. It's like taking a push mower out and trying to mow coastal Bermuda. You've ever tried that, or golf grass that's gotten up six or eight inches deep. There's a lot there. And so I I don't want to do that this morning as much as put this text in context of the Bible and it's teaching about God's care for us. And so I'm going to do a couple of things. I want to show you the terms that are used to refer to and to describe elders and who they are. And then I want to show you from scripture uh, just briefly um, God's care for his people as shepherd um, and then use that to point us to how then this text points us to the role of elders in the life of the church as manifesting to us and for us God's care for us. And so I'm thankful for texts like this. Um, Every week I'm thankful for the study and the preparation. It makes me have to think through uh, what's there in the text and apply it to my life. And so today I I'm in the rare position of you know, teaching and preaching this text both as, a, as an elder and a pastor, but also as a member of the church. And so I'm preaching at myself uh, as an elder, and I'm preaching and teaching to you as an elder that's teaching and giving instruction, and I'm preaching back at myself again as a member uh, of the church. And so um, I hope this will bless you as much as it's blessed me. Uh, this week looking at it. And so let's begin with just the the three common terms describing the leadership of the church, the elders specifically in the church. And if you want to, in your notes somewhere on the bulletin to kind of build a little uh, table, you know, on the left, you can start right down there and you can say that the English words are elder. You'll also see in your Bible sometimes bishop. You'll also see it sometimes pastor. Right, And so those are the three words we find in Scripture that refer to the elders in the life of the church. And that's not always immediately apparent when you just see those words at the different places that they show up in the New Testament. But those are the three words. all right. And so elder, bishop, and pastor. And you will have heard um, different ways the words, the Greek words that stand under those words that we translate those words from. We translate elder from the Greek term presbuteros, buteros, all right, and so that would go in your second column there, and good luck spelling it, all right, you can ask me after, send me an email, and I'll send you the spelling, uh, presbuteros, and uh, so that's the word that we get presbytery or presbyterian from, uh, and so there's some discussions there in terms of the, the shape of the governance and the polity or the, the government of the church, but elder is translated from presbyteros. Bishop is translated from episkopos. And so that's the word we get episcopalian uh, and related terms from. Uh, And then pastor is translated from a term poimen or poimano is the verb. There's a noun, and a verb for it. And so poimen or poimano and here's what's significant about those terms when you do a study of them in the New Testament. And I find this extremely helpful and why there's three terms and three different words. And why couldn't there have just been one, you know, so that it was really clear for us uh, is that they communicate different things to us. And they're meant to stand together as a whole to help us understand who and who the elders are and, and what they are to be uh, to us. And so elder coming from presbyteros, that's when I looked it up, it's always there as an adjective. It's always there as an adjective. We use it a lot as a noun. Go talk to the elder or the elders, right? But it's always in the scriptures as an adjective and uh, probably as, a, as a, in a noun sense, it's used that way. But in the language, it's an adjective and it's there to describe in spiritual maturity, right? Uh, not necessarily that these elders are old, right? And we can get into that, that they're, they're old men. Uh, they're, they're getting older men. Um, you know, it, it's not that sense. And so your, your elders don't have to be mature, physically older men. Um, a lot of times that, that's what happens because it speaks to, it's an adjective, it speaks not to our age, but to spiritual maturity. And so oftentimes within a, a congregation, you've got some men who've been in the faith for many years, and they know the Word, and they know their theology, and they've been uh, fulfilling the role of elder at home and other areas in the life of the church. And so it's typical that we have older men. But it's not saying that they must be old of age. It's spiritual maturity. And so these can be young men. These can be young men with families, right? And these can be young men. Paul tells Timothy, don't let your age, right, keep you essentially out of the game. You can be a young man. Paul leaves Timothy here to instruct the elders at Ephesus, right? So you can be a young man. They should be mature, spiritually mature, wise, right? And again, not in some of the ways that we typically think about wisdom. Uh, Sometimes we start thinking through elders and who might be an elder in a church and we we think of somebody that has a lot of wisdom financially or somebody that has a lot of wisdom uh, in business or somebody that has a lot of wisdom in logistics and administration or somebody that has a lot of wisdom in relationships. And those are all good things, but those are not the qualifications themselves for eldering and for what an elder is and who he is. You can have all that kind of wisdom and have very little biblical wisdom and very little spiritual maturity. And so what you're looking for is somebody who is spiritually mature. That's what this adjective is describing for us. And so that's elder coming from presbyteros. And then you have the word bishop. And we don't like that one a lot because there's history around that word. But when that's translated directly in the New Testament, it would be bishop and bishop. That's a, it's a noun each time, as I could find it. Uh, it's a noun, the, a bishop or an overseer. And so this is not spiritual maturity now, but this is spiritual authority. Uh, this is an office. It's a position in the life of the church. And so to form a church, you have to have an assembly of converted believers And you must have elders in the life of the church. There's no church envisioned in the New Testament, as I can see it or understand it, where you don't have an assembly and you have elders in the life of the church. And so you have to have an assembly and you have to have elders. And historically, you've got to have the word being preached, which is typically done by those elders in the church, and the ordinances Uh, being lived out or done, accomplished in the life of the church. And those are often also led by the elders then. And so uh, it's spiritual authority, overseer, that he has authority over uh, the church, that God has given authority to him. And so when you uh, select and appoint and ordain men to be elders in the church, you are selecting and affirming and ordaining them to have spiritual authority over you in your life. And in joining a church, then you are submitting yourself to the spiritual authority of the church in general, and then specifically to the authority of the elders in that church. We, uh, we live in a day and in a culture uh, where we, we typically eschew, we forego We reject, we get around as much authority as we possibly can, but you can't get around this, that God has appointed elders to have authority in the life of the church, and not just generally, but in my life and your life. And We ought to take advantage of that more as church members, just a word or two here that That when we are about to make a major life decision that uh, we have ordained and appointed men in the life of the church as having spiritual wisdom and maturity and having some spiritual authority. And so we ought to take advantage of that wisdom that has been put there in the life of the church. We ought to come share our thought process uh, at times, am I thinking through what I need to be thinking through? Uh, there are scriptural truths that that inform how I could be thinking about this decision. Will you pray for us, and will you pray with us right now? And will you pray for us as we continue to work through this process? It's it's not that's not to say that the elders are making the decision for you, right? But. But you know how often in the midst of just the pressure of everything that's going on, it's, it's helpful to have another perspective. And so we ought to take advantage when we're making big decisions uh, of that wisdom that is there and the knowledge of Scripture. And is there something God has said specifically to those kinds of circumstances or decisions that we should take into consideration as we're thinking through those things, or, or, coming to uh, Jr. or Andy, and saying, "I was reading this text the other day. Uh, can we discuss what this means? Uh, and and Let's have coffee. Or I heard this argument the other day. Can we talk about whether or not this is a a true argument? Is this biblical in nature? Or you know, am I missing something? Right? That we ought to take advantage of that spiritual maturity and the spiritual authority that's there uh, to shape our lives according to God's word and God's truth. And so uh, that's uh, elder, and that's bishop or overseer, and then you have the word or term pastor, pastor, appointment, uh, which means shepherd. It's in Ephesians 4.11 as a noun that some are given as pastor teachers uh, in the life of the church, but it's in 1 Peter 5, 2 and Acts 20:28 20, 28 as a verb. And so we have an adjective and we have a noun that describes who these men are. but We have a verb that describes what they do. And that is to be shepherds. That's the primary role that elders are to fulfill the church is to be shepherds to God's people. And so they're to do the work of a shepherd in the life of the church. and When you look at what that looks like in Scripture, specifically related to teachings about elders specifically, and then just what a shepherd is and what he does, uh, you see things such as they lead. There's leadership. Uh, They guide. There's care. There's correction. There's nourishing or feeding. Uh, There's protecting uh, those that are in the church. That's what shepherding ministry looks like for us. And so just in kind of laying those three terms out, you already get a pretty good sense of how who elders are, uh, that they're spiritually mature men, uh, that you get a sense of their role in the church, they're to exercise spiritual authority in the life of the church. And you get a pretty good idea of the nature of their ministry to shepherd the church, lead, guide, care for, correct, nourish, and protect. The church is a body, and then each individual and person in the life of the church. Uh, if you go to 1 Peter, and we, we won't turn there, but you can note it down, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 3. And if you go to Acts 20, 28, uh, you get some helpful clarifications. Uh, these, are not to be, these men are not to be forced into the position, uh, but they're, they are to desire to care for God's people. They are not uh, to do it for their own gain, But they are to do it according to God's will and His purpose. They're not to do it to um, abusively assert their authority, but they do it to they gain authority by way of their example to the church. They are to keep watch over their own hearts and then over the life of the church. And just as I was reading through those this week, I can feel just even in my own heart again because of how the culture informs me, uh, and just how sin is at work in my own heart, uh, how sometimes when you read statements like that, you take it a certain way, right? And we look at that, uh, and we see they're, they're not to be forced, but to desire to care. They're, uh, it's not for their own gain, but for God's will, that it's uh, not to assert authority, but it's to be examples, Right? That they should keep watch over their own hearts and also over the hearts of God. And you see what I'm doing there? I'm emphasizing that side that, you know, stay out of my business. right? So the, the negative side. And you can, if we're not careful, we, we read when an elder comes to us and approaches us to care for us and to check on us. We start to read it as, wow. Well. That prideful, person he just he's gotta he's gotta be over me you know and he's gotta assert his authority and what's he get out of this and you know we can read that that way and i I touch on this often enough I, i grew up here in wise county we don't like folks if you're from here to be in our yard i mean not even our front yard Right. Not to mention our backyard where we've got it fenced off and everything. And anytime somebody drove down the driveway and we didn't know they were coming, we were like, who's that? And we'd ask somebody, is someone coming? No, you know that? I don't know that. And then like, you know, get your gun. I mean, we were like, I don't know who that is. And I don't know if I want them on my property. They need to go away. They're not here by invitation, right? And we we will think through, right, elders as they come to check on us and care for us. And you're not here for a couple of weeks and the elder calls up, hey, just checking on you. I missed you the last couple of weeks. I just want to make sure you weren't dead. You know, y'all aren't sick. You know, there's, there's 10 of you in your house and man, if seven of you are down, y'all need some help. Right. But, you know, the phone rings and you see Elder Andy and you go, I'm in trouble. right. Elder calls up and says, hey, can we go to lunch? Like, oh, what have I done? What about what did I do, Lord? (laughs) Place, you know, you know, like 30 minutes in before you're like, oh, he's just just checking on me. You ever had that? Right. You know, that we, we sometimes don't respond well to what's laid out here as the role of care and shepherding in our lives as elders, which makes it really difficult, you know, on those guys to come because, you know, you can tell someone's like, oh, right. And it, it, if we all know what's going on here and we're good, then it, it works a little better. And you start pursuing and taking advantage of that care for you. Uh, and you're comfortable with it and you seek it out. And then when you miss it, you, you miss it, right? And you can come say, hey, you know, I'm over here. And sometimes we may not be seeing you and you, you got to run a flag up for us. Man, we'll be there. And so want to be careful just how we, we think through, uh, even as we're looking at these terms who these men are to us in the life of the church. And just along those that note, right, then we want to understand how this role of shepherding and shepherd care or watch care, or however we refer to it, um, how it's a real and present manifestation of God's care for us. And so this is the second thing we want to look at, the terms and how that begins to shape our understanding of who elders are and their role and their ministry within the life of the church. But we want to attach that specifically to it being a real, present manifestation of God's care for us as His people. And so when we start looking at that, there's some text we can go to. And I, you know, God being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one of the just beautiful things in this to me is that each person in the Trinity is spoken of. Directly or indirectly as a shepherd to us. It's one of the names and the roles that God uh, is to us. And so you go for God, the father, just God. God is in Psalm 80, the shepherd of Israel, or there's the Psalm that we all love, right? You know, it's Psalm 23, right? He thought it was a trick question. Which starts out, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want in any way. That's just an overarching, generalizing statement. I will not want that he makes me lie down in green pastures, that he leads me by still waters. In other words, that he provides nourishment to me. I have food and I have water. He nourishes me. In his leading and his guiding and his caring for and his protecting and correcting of me, he nourishes me and gives me sustenance. He guides me in paths of righteousness. In other words, he instructs me and he guides me, leads me, not just wherever I want to go, but in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? Fear no evil, right? Because God protects me. I know that He's my rock and my refuge. He's my protection. His rod and staff they comfort me. Right? That's the two tools of the shepherd. Right? We we like the staff. That's you know, eighteen feet long and has the crook at the end of it, and you reach out and yank people off stage. No, it's that's a different one. But it's modeled after the staff. It's six feet long. You know, it's it's a long stick and you got the crook or it's long enough for him to reach out, right, and guide gently, or to save and pull from dangerous places. It's it's his caring for us, but there's also the rod. That one's shorter. Might have a knob on the end of it, because sometimes we're thick headed. Right? And we need to be corrected and disciplined. And so there's, there's the rod of correction, and then there's the staff to guide. And those, both of those comfort me, right? And this, this is the nature of God's care for, for those, by extension, should be a comfort to us, even from the elders that God's put in place in the life of the church. Gentle guiding, but also correction. Uh, you prepare a table before my enemies. God provides for me even the worst of circumstances that uh, surely, he says there at the end of the psalm, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. There's a security there, right? And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's a confidence. Security and confidence is what comes out of good shepherding and care for the flock. And so that describes God, the Father, as my shepherd. There's also Jesus, who is the good shepherd, right? Matthew 2, verse 6, Out of Bethlehem will come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And there's a great side study here. There's some text in Revelation that talk about Jesus coming and ruling the nations during the millennium with a rod of iron. And that word for ruler there is the verb poimano. And so it's the word shepherding applied to the role of Christ in his kingdom. And he's a ruler. And so this prophecy, which is out of Micah 5.2, that out of Bethlehem will come forth a ruler, is attached to the idea of shepherding and authority and how that's exercised by Christ himself. 1 Peter 2.25, Jesus is the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. But then there's that text in John 10, verse 11 and following, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And what's the the thing that qualifies him most directly as the good shepherd? It's that he lays down his life for the sheep. And there's a certain amount of that that's, that's true. It's a different thing to take on the role of elder in the life of the church. That your time is not your own. That you laid down your life in many respects. The life of your family is shaped and conformed and changed by this role that you take on. And so things are different for your wife and your children if you have that family there. That you laid down your life as service to the Lord and to the life of the church. And so that Jesus is the good shepherd. And then you have the Holy Spirit. He's another shepherd is the best term that I think I can give to it. it you know, John 14, verse 16, that you may have studied this before, that God will give you another helper or another comforter. And what's beautiful about that phraseology is that you got the term comforter or paraclete and someone who is alongside you, but he's another one. And it's in the context of Jesus saying, I'm going to be with the Father. I'm not going to be with you, but I'm not going to leave you alone. There's another one coming. And just as Jesus has been there with his disciples and he's been present with them, and just as Jesus has instructed them, and just as Jesus has corrected them, and just as Jesus has taught them, right, and cared for them and provided for them and protected them that this other comforter or helper would now be there with you to do all of those things too. And so this one's a little, not as direct, it's a little more indirect, but the Spirit has been given to us to be with us always, even in eternity. He says that He will be with you forever. And that is the Spirit of truth. And so He's there to be the same thing to us that Christ was and is to us. He's another shepherd to us. And so that's a, there's more text and things you could go to, but it, it's, it's helpful and it's instructive to see that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, that God is, in a very real way, in a very present way, in a very active way, our shepherd. And that that, that role was handed to Leaders. Now, this was not something I'd thought of before, but you go to John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. If you remember that text, that's the text where Jesus is restoring Peter. Do you remember that conversation? Peter, do you love me? What's he say to him? Peter, well, yeah, Lord. What's Jesus say after that? Ten my lambs. Right? What had happened was on the night of Christ. Uh, his, his trial and then his torture and then his death the next day, that that night you remember that before they ever went out and they're having communion, you know, Jesus says, you'll deny me. And Peter, oh, no, no, I'll never do. You're crazy. I'll never deny you. And then he gets out there and in the moment, You realize Jesus is, it's looking like he's going to die and it's dangerous. And three different times someone says, hey, you're one of those guys, aren't you? You're with him, aren't you? You're one of his disciples, aren't you? No. No. And the third time with a curse. No. That was a public denial of Christ. And so now we're out by the seashore where Peter's been fishing. And you get the sense that he understands This is what happens, right, to us. I I can't follow him now. I said I wasn't his. And Jesus comes to him. And it would seem that he's there probably with some or all the other disciples at the end of the book of Mark. It says there, go back there where it started. He's going to find you where everything began. That was the message to the disciples. He's going to meet you back in the Galilee. And so we have this moment. And they're there. And Jesus is with Peter. And so, there's this time, do you love me? I do. Tend my lambs. Do you love me a second time? Lord, you know I do. Shepherd my sheep. Lord, Peter, do you love me? I, you, you, I do. Tend my sheep. And it's interesting, there's two words there. Bosco is the first one and the third one, and then poimano is the second one. Bosco is the, the narrower term, nourish and feed them. Right, give them sustenance, but poimano in the middle is the more broad one. Care for, watch over, lead, guide, correct, protect my sheep who are his people. And so in that you have Jesus uh, restoring Peter to himself. Right? But you have Jesus restoring Peter to the ministry of oversight and care and shepherding For the church of God. Three times, tend, shepherd, tend the sheep and the lambs. He's restoring them to that ministry that he's meant to live out in the life of the church. John chapter 20, verse 15 to 17, there, you know, Jesus refers to the church as my lambs or my sheep. When you look in the other two texts that are uh, about elders, uh, Paul talking to the elders of Ephesus at Miletus in Acts 20, verse 28. Uh, he calls it the church of God purchased with his own blood. In 1 Peter 5, 2, as Peter talks about elders, he says that it's the flock of God that is among you. That this pastoral care, this shepherding care is to be exercised within the context of the life of a local church. And that there, there you are to have a shepherding ministry to those in the life of the church. And so this is something that God has ordained. This is something that Jesus has passed on to Peter and the disciples, which is then passed on to other men in the life of the church. We have right here in 1 Timothy, we have elders not teaching truth or allowing what's not true to be taught. And so Paul leaves Timothy there to charge, to command the elders of the church not to teach strange doctrines. The ministry of the elders in the life of the church is going awry. And Paul leaves Timothy here to reinstruct, as it were. He leaves in the book of Titus, Titus and Crete to appoint elders in the life of that church. And so that ministry, that shepherding care has been passed down from Christ to the apostles, to the elders of the church, and even to our day. And so we want to be careful then not to reject, right, the spiritual authority that God has given to the elders. We want to be careful not to reject the spiritual care that God has called elders to exercise in our lives. We want to be careful to actively cultivate spiritual authority of the church and of the elders in our lives and to actively cultivate then just spiritual care by the elders. It's something we figure out together, right? And so elders pursue the sheep of the flock, and the sheep draw close to the shepherds. And since the elders of the church are the very real manifestation of the shepherding care of God, the church draws near even as the elders seek them out. And so we work on that together. How then does 1 Timothy 3, 1-7 through fit within this framework? It's so the last thing I want to touch on this morning. It helps us then wisely identify men who will exercise spiritual authority and care for us. This text helps us wisely identify then men who will exercise spiritual authority and care for us and to whom we will entrust ourselves and our lives to. That's what this text does. There's 15 characteristics listed here. Uh, I want to briefly touch on each just to walk down through it. And there's five characteristics I think you can group these into to give you just some headers for what it looks like, uh, what, what a man is to look like to be an elder. And so this is what uh, right now JR and Andy and I should look like. And you know, I have to confess, I look down through some of these and I, you know, when you get into Scripture, you go, Oh, no. Oh, 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 no. Right? And so if you're looking at that and you're looking at me and going, yep, X. Right? Come tell me. Right? That That's part of this. Right? Is that I, I'm i not, I'm a member in the life of the church. And what this is essentially is just Christ-like character. As we look at this list, men in particular, we should be careful not to just, well, wow, boy, whoa, whoa. I'm glad those elders got to watch that bar right there. This is just Christ-likeness. And so just being a brother in Christ, if I'm straying here, I need correction, right? I'm, I'm not beyond or above that. And so uh, I look at this, and it was a good challenge to me to think through specific areas of life uh, and to make changes and to repent. And so I hope this will bless you too, uh, not only as you think about uh, your elders. Hopefully, you find a lot there to be encouraged by, but also uh, just as a as a challenge to growth in Christ together. Uh, and so, there's five things here. I'll show to you real quickly. Uh, the first one, and I'm so glad they start right here. That Paul starts here. The first one's not perfect, but being perfected. Right, not perfect, but being perfected. Uh, we'll start in verse two. An overseer then must be above reproach. The word there is to be unassailable or not accusable. And so it sounds like, man, you got to be perfect, right? And we often teach and preach this like, you got to be like up there somewhere. Yeah, you got to be a saint, practically, to be an elder. Uh, and we start, we kind of convey the idea that, man, if there's any imperfection, you've been disqualified, right? Uh, it's unassailable. It's not accusable. But it's not that elders are not are, are perfect because none of us are, because we're just we're people, right? Uh, we can't stand back and throw stones, right? We want to draw near and communicate what we see to one another. What this is, is is blamelessness, I think, is a great way to express this, not because we don't fail or fall or make mistakes, but because there is a desire to know. I think often at the end of Psalm 19, God, show me even from your word that puts your glory on display, my hidden faults. And so you have somebody that when they're in their word, they respond to what God teaches them. And you have somebody that when someone draws near to say, hey, can I talk to you? that they listen humbly and they respond to that correction. And therefore, they're blameless. They want to know hidden sin. They want to be held back, as Psalm 19 says, from willful sin, right? You're not putting up a front of perfection that I've got everything together all the time because that presents a false picture of the gospel to the life of the church. You want somebody that their life is is obviously shaped by the gospel and the fact they know and recognize and can receive recognition of sin. And then repent of that and be shaped by Christ and in Christ. And so these are men whose refuge and strength is not in themselves, but it's completely in the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And they're shaped by the gospel. That's above reproach or blameless. It's like David, the man after God's own heart. That is, man, that that I bring that up every so often, but that is, that is such a beautiful thing. David, David messed up. I mean, he did bad, right? I mean, God's prophet had to come to him and give an illustration to pierce his heart in his sin. But when he recognized that was about him, he broke, and you get Psalm 51, and he repents. And because, not not that he's perfect, but because he repents and goes to the Lord, he's a man after God's own heart he's blameless. He's above reproach in that way. And that's what this is, I think. That's the first one, and I'm I'm glad that we see right at the beginning God's grace to us. And then you get Christ-like character, and you roll through several of these together. He's a husband of one wife. Uh, That means faithfulness. Uh, An elder can be single. He can be widowed and remarried after the passing of his wife. He can be divorced and remarried. But you want to have a good, lengthy, clear discussion there about what biblical divorce and remarriage looks like. There's some very tight constraints on that. So that's a discussion for another time and day. But this here is not never divorced or always married. It, just, it means faithfulness, that he's faithful to his wife. Uh, He's temperate. He's sober or clear-minded is what that means. He thinks clearly. His mind isn't affected by outside things and concerns. He's clear-minded. Sober might be the translation you have there. He's prudent, which follows from being sober. He's self-controlled. His mind is controlled by the truths of God. He's respectable. It's a word that refers to uh, a well-disciplined life. Uh, He's a man who is hospitable, and I found this study helpful. Uh, It's not just like welcoming uh, people into your home. That's the practical definition of it. It literally means to care for strangers. That's so helpful. You need elders that care for strangers. Been around churches that people hit the back door, and nobody turns to say hello, and hi, and we love you, and man, we're so glad you're here. And that comes from the top down. Or in a church where somebody reaches out to a certain neighborhood and people start showing up and then there's all kinds of problems because they don't quite know not to say those words or that t-shirt or whatever it is. And you have to have elders that say, man, they've come out seeking Christ and we're going to welcome those who are not of us to be among us when that happens. And so you must have... Men who welcome strangers into their midst. You can't be a, it's us and them kind of mentality. Uh, they are to be able to teach. Now, this is one we also often point out as a, it's a skill. It's kind of an oddity in this place, but it's right in the middle of this list, really, in a way, and it, it although it is a skill and it is something to be practiced, you can't divorce this from uh, character, right? That able to teach uh, it's somebody who, not just able to parse out and exegete a text, but somebody who is shaped by the teaching and the truths of Scripture. And so now it informs their teaching and their instruction and their counsel and their care for you. And so it's a, it connects character to The instruction of the elder. Not addicted to wine is more than just temperate. It's not nothing else. Having control over him, not pugnacious. He's not a brawler or a fighter. And this is one I think we want to nuance a little bit in our day. In our day now, if someone says something and someone disagrees with them, well, you hate me. We're in an argument. We're now so when you come to an elder and go, hey, I've always taken this truth to be this way. And the elder says, well, I, I disagree with that. And you're, now you're in fight mode, you know, and you're perceiving that he's a brawler. You can't be an elder. Every time I take him something, we're in a fight. You can't, that's not what this is. I, I'll say often, like, we want to have those conversations, but you don't want Jr. Or Andy, myself, or anybody that would be an elder. You don't want us to change our minds quickly, right? You don't want us to just go, oh, well, that sounds great. Let's go do that. Oh, that sounds great. Let's, let's go do that. That's, that's Ephesians 4, and that's James being tossed by winds and waves of doctrine. You don't want those guys to do that, right? You want them to be firm in their convictions and clear on what Scripture says, and if you can present a clear, compelling case, it's this way. Then you want them to be able to go, oh man, yeah, okay, we're going to change that. And now we're going to teach and shepherd from that truth. That's okay, right? So we don't, not being a brawler just means you know they're they're not spoiling for a fight, and it doesn't come to blows. That's not who they are, right? Uh, gentle goes with that. He has a gentle hand when teaching and counseling, and even when correcting, it's a it's, it's a firm hand, but it's it's gloved. Might have to punch you right in the kisser, right? But it, it's firm, and, and I pulled off a little bit, right? But I'm get your attention, right? Gentle. He's going to be gentle with you, peaceable. He's, his life is being reconciled with God. He doesn't cause divisions. He heals divisions when he sees them. And then free from the love of money. You know, love of money later in this book, First Timothy 6.10, is the root of all sorts of evil. And Timothy says here for, you know, out of the love of money, uh, some have pierced Themselves, And so that's a, a term there for skewering themselves. And uh, that was, is that right here? Love, uh, Free from the love of money. That may be over in chapter six. That was somewhere there where through that you've been pierced. It, it was such a vivid image. I was like, man, it's, it's as if you've skewered yourself with that. And so free from the love of money, that root potential for evil has been removed from you. So that's the character, the list of characters. Uh, The third thing is he's a proven shepherd, right? He's a proven shepherd. When you get there to uh, verse four, he must be one who manages his own household well, that manage means uh, he has authority over. And so you don't put someone into the position of elder that's not already eldering and that there's not evidence of his ability to care for, protect, nourish, correct, and guide and lead well. And that begins at home as a husband Washes Ephesians five his wife with the word as a husband leads his home as a husband cares for and disciples his children right and so you're looking to see is there evidence of sanctification in general with his household and then specifically in his marriage and in his family and so if you want to know if a man is qualified to shepherd and here's something we do and we look at and it's a great practice. You can uh, be blameless, and you can have great Christ-like character, but if you look at his marriage, right, and there's, there's not evidence that he's able to lead and guide and shepherd his wife and his kids, you have an issue there. You have somebody that, while he may love Jesus, he's not able to confront and correct and lead and instruct. And you've got to disconnect from who he is, in this ministry of watch care and shepherding. And so he's not ready yet then. And so it begins with managing his household well. He's a proven shepherd. Fourth, he's a believer. He's, verse six, not a new convert. He's not a new convert. Uh, Verse five, we passed it there. If a man does not know how to manage his household well, how will he take care of the church of God? And so He's clarifying that for us. And so verse six, he's a believer, but not a new believer. This word for new convert, it's metaphorical. It basically means not a newly planted, a newly planted tree. Uh, around here, we'd say he's not a spring chicken, right? At least I heard that growing up. That may just be me. Uh, it's somebody that has some rings on the tree, but not, again, not life. It's spiritual maturity, and he's rooted. And so he's not going to be blown and swayed by winds and waves of doctrine as those things change. And then fifthly, his life affirms the gospel. When you look there in verse 7, he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he'll not fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. Uh, That he must, his life must affirm the gospel. uh, That he have a good reputation comes from the word martyria, from which we get martyr from. That his life Uh, is a testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ, even to those outside the church, uh, so that he won't fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. He's not swayed by what's out there. He's even out there in the midst, and he's known for having a Christ-like character and integrity and for being someone who knows Christ, loves Christ, speaks about Christ, and shares Christ with others. His life affirms the gospel. And so I hope that's helpful to you. This is who the elders are to be. uh, That they are a real manifestation of God's care for us. God who is shepherd has given under shepherds to the church to care for us. And so we draw part of our drawing near to God and to Christ. It's to draw near to these men. Um, and I want to go back to verse one as we close uh, this up this morning. Um, he starts this out, and we skipped it, but it says it's a trustworthy statement. There's f- five times in, uh, mostly in the pastoral epistles where we find this, that it's a trustworthy statement. They're most often associated to uh, clear, basic, foundational statements of faith. Um, and so this is a clear basic statement that if any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. Sometimes a man will keep himself from this position because he thinks to aspire to that position is prideful. And to be sure, you have to watch out for that. We examine for that. If when you examine someone to come to this position, you want to watch out for that. It's something you want to be aware of in yourself. But it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to this office, it's a fine work. It's a good thing. It's, in a way, a little bit of a natural progression that as a man puts his faith in Christ, as he grows in Christ, if God blesses him with a wife and then later with kids, that he's learning along the way how to care for someone not himself. You love your wife as you love yourself. You turn that selfish Thing around, and you like Christ laid down your life for your wife, and then for your family, and then for your friends, and for the lost, and then for those that put their faith in Christ to disciple them. And you have you're growing in this desire to care for, shepherd, lead, instruct, nourish, guide, correct, protect. For the glory of God and the good of God, but God's glory is the greatest good for these that I love the most. And so I I care for them by protecting them and leading and shepherding them. And there's just something that grows then in that person that at some point he's, he's operating already in the life of the church that way. And it shouldn't be a hard thing then when you look around and go, We need some more elders, and who do we look for? You look for that guy or those guys that not just have these character qualities, but they are already a presence of God's care in the life of their family, in the life of the church, and their friends, and the lost about them. You look for that man, because then you have an elder. But all of us men, as we touched on last week, it's a leadership issue in that last text, this is not something that's just for the few, it's for every one of us in this room to shepherd and care in our homes and in our workplaces and within our community and within our church. We 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 need to be we need to pray for God to raise us up and Spur one another on, men, to fulfill this ministry in those ways. The church needs men to fill this role in the life of the church. So, pray that has blessed to you. Let's pray. Uh, we're going to sing together, and then Dr. Hoover is going to come up and close us real quick. So, Father, thank you for this text, for the clarity it gives us on the qualifications of an elder. God, for how that connects so beautifully uh, to your own, just through your inspiration, calling yourself shepherd. The Father is shepherd, and the Son is shepherd, and the Spirit is shepherd to us. God, you care for and watch over and lead and guide and instruct and correct and nourish and protect us. Thank you for uh, not being distant from us, but giving us the Spirit to fulfill that in our life. And then also for ordaining and implementing in the life of the church men who will be uh, watch, watchful over us and over the life of the church. Thank you for your care, your great care for us and how that uh, has been put in place for us. Bless us today as we consider those truths. God, would you shape us and change our lives that we might live those things out together as the body of Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we'll pray these things. Amen.